Hello everyone and welcome to episode 2. In this episode, I sit down virtually with professional mixed martial artist Skylar Suto during the final preparations for his Bellator debut on Thursday, November 12th. During our conversation, Skylar discusses balancing a normal life with being a fighter, his martial arts journey, martial arts as a tool for character development, and the process of preparing both physically and mentally for a fight. This episode will be available on YouTube at the Justin Sizemore Show channel. Skyler's fight will also stream live on YouTube Thursday evening sometime between 5 and 7 p.m. Alrighty, welcome. Skyler, how are you feeling? Good, man. Uh, thanks for having me. A little Excellent. hungry, a little bit thirsty, but I feel good. Okay. And then can you go ahead, uh, just for uh, hopefully some people listening to this who don't know you, can you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, my name is Skylar Suto. I uh, met Justin through jujitsu. We've known each other for, I don't know how long now, four or five years, something like that. About uh, five we, years. Yeah, about five years. We train at ground control together. I, uh, in my day to day, I work as a logistics engineer for a company called L2 Defense. And then in my nightlife, I sort of moonlight as a professional cage fighter. And mm -hmm. I'm a, uh, about three days away from probably the biggest fight that I've had so far. I got signed to fight for uh, Bellator, which is, uh, I would say like, you know, for people who don't really know uh, MMA, it's mixed martial arts. It's basically what you would see cage fighting, I guess it's also referred to as. Uh, and Bellator is probably the second biggest organization out there after the UFC, which is most people know the UFC, even if you don't really watch MMA or into martial arts, you kind of have heard of the UFC, have heard of Conor McGregor, and maybe some of the more popular fighters. Bellator is probably the number two organization. So uh, just got signed to fight for them. And that fight is, uh, what, what day is it today? Monday. So three days away. Tomorrow is the big weight cut day. Weigh in on Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. And then I have about 30 hours to rehydrate and refeed. And then I fight Thursday evening-ish, four o'clock, five o'clock. So uh, basically I'm out in Connecticut right now in my hotel room, just starting the weight cut and starting the mental preparations to get ready to do that. All right. So I'm going to break some of those things down that you just mentioned. Uh, and let's start since you were already talking about your day job. So you, you work as an engineer. I'm sorry. Can you say that again? Yeah. It's a logistics engineer. Basically, mm -hmm. Uh, it's a very like specific type of engineering. We do reliability analysis and failure mode analysis. And uh, the company that I work for, L2 Defense, we have a lot of contracts with the military and with first responders. Primarily what I do is work with the military. So like, let's say the army is, wants to develop a new chemical agent detector or some new piece of uh a radiological detector, some sort of sensor or some piece of hardware, they'll hire a company to design and build it. And then that company will subcontract us to do the logistics work on it, which is a very specific type of military related uh, set of projects that we need to accomplish in order to sort of like facilitate the development of the hardware. So like I said, we'll do reliability analysis on it. So as they're choosing parts for the, as they're designing it, we'll uh, basically come up with 
what parts are the most reliable, what parts are the least reliable so that we can kind of predict what's likely to fail in the system if something were to fail. And then based on that, we write technical manuals. So if that part did fail, this is, we write the instructions on how to replace it. We keep an updated database of where you can find all of the parts to replace certain things on it, right? Because you're building these systems and they're fielded for 10 years or something like that. So a lot of times parts will go obsolete in that 10 year period. And then someone is gonna, if, if something breaks, you need an updated source of where you can go find that part. So we kind of do all that uh, back. I mean, like I said, the logistics of it, right? Like what, uh, all of the help influencing the design to make it so that it's maintainable and then, you know, facilitating that maintainability, writing the manuals to repair it, keeping databases of where they can find the repair parts for it, uh, things like that. So I kind of just fell into that job after I moved out here. Um, but I find it enjoyable and I get to work from home as well. So like after COVID and it's probably going to continue even when things go back to normal. So uh, okay. that aspect of it, I enjoy a lot because now I get to have a little bit of extra time for training too. Mm -hmm. Now, did you do time in the office, in an office setting? Yeah, I was in an office setting. I mean, I've been with this company for almost four years now. Um, I'm actually like one of the most senior logistics engineers. There was a couple guys, This it's a pretty new company. It's only it started in 2012. There was a couple logistics engineers who got hired before me and sort of trained me up on how to do it. And then they left. So like, lo and behold, I'm now the most senior guy. Like I don't have a background in engineering or whatever. It's just something that I figured out how to do through training and just through hands-on experience. And now I'm sort of teaching other people how to do it and managing teams. So uh, just pretty fortuitous to end up in, in this job and sort of, had people above me who stepped out of the way so that I could continue to get bumped up. So just uh, pretty lucky to be where I'm at. And I also with COVID, like I said, now I'm working from home. So even luckier. So uh, how do coworkers respond when they learn that you are a professional cage fighter? Well, some of them have come and watched my fights. I mean, most of them, they find out because I'll show up with like a black eye or I'll show up like in a boot and they'll be like, what happened? And I'll be like, oh, I was fighting or oh, it was practice or whatever. Like, oh, what, tell us about that. So, I mean, for the most part, I would say people are surprised. I guess surprise is the, is the primary reaction. And then like, I would say curious and uh, most people can't relate to the mindset of why someone would put themselves through that. So uh, I, I guess, like I said, surprise is it, or I don't know if disbelief, uh, disbelief isn't really the correct term for it, but uh, like I said, most people, they can't put themselves in that mindset of why would you go do this? And so they can't really relate to it at all. But uh when a lot of most of my coworkers have seen me fight at this point. And so now it's just kind of everybody knows me as that guy who sometimes is going to show up with black eyes or, you know, sometimes I need to take a week off to go travel to Connecticut and fight mm -hmm. a guy in a cage. So I'm kind of just now it's a normal thing. But at first it was like, whoa, like, what the heck are you doing, man? Why would you possibly do that? Yeah, it, uh, it makes me think of that scene in Fight Club uh, when uh, the narrator, you know, he comes to work with a black eye or a bloody lip and everyone's looking at him funny. 
Yeah, um, I mean, that's so like I, I do work on site, uh, sometimes at client sites where people don't know me as well. And it's, it's kind of the same thing. Like people will give you a little bit of a side eye or like look at you when you, you know, if you have a black eye or you're, you're busted up a little bit, but most people won't say anything to you. They won't ask questions about it. There's always one or two people who are just that outgoing personality and just so curious. They'll ask you about it and then they'll end up telling everyone else. So everyone kind of figures out secondhand, but yeah, exactly. Like in fight club, man, most people, they won't even mention it. Like I said, they'll give you like a weird side eye, but they won't directly ask you so let's build up it's probably the last thing people expect anyway like people get black eyes all the time from whatever probably pick up basketball or whatever last people last thing people expect is that it's from cage fighting so yeah so you talked about uh most people can't understand the mindset and why somebody would fight so let's start uh how did you get into martial arts as a whole can you take us back to the beginning I start my, the start of martial arts, my brother did karate before me. And for whatever reason, I, I wasn't really into it, but I used to walk with him. I, he was probably, he was probably like five years old and I was probably like eight years old. And we would walk to the rec center together and to, uh, to his martial, to his karate classes. And he would go do class and I would just watch uh, for whatever reason I wasn't into it. And then eventually, like, I just showed up all the time to watch him and at some point got sucked into it. So I started with karate and did that for three to five years, something around that range. But I was very young, you know, so it's first of all, you know, karate is not necessarily the most applicable martial art for learning how to actually fight and defend yourself. It's, you know, you can learn some discipline and some basic coordination and some basic movement from it, but it's not the most applicable martial art for fighting. Um, so, you know, I, I didn't really stick with it. Uh, I just, you know, I, I kind of, I don't know, it's hard to put myself back in that, you know, 12 year old mindset of why I quit karate and maybe even embarrassed to walk around wearing the gi and, I don't know what it was. I just, I wasn't really into it as much uh, as my brother who continued to do it. And then my brother from there went into judo and he was really the martial artist before me. Um, and then, but I always, I was always kind of a knucklehead and got in a lot of fights growing up. Like even when I was in preschool, I had like one best friend and yeah, one time we just decided that we were going to fight each other. So even though we we're best friends, we're like, okay, on Friday, we're going to fight. And like, he's like, all right, I'm going to pretend to be a Raptor. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to pretend to be whatever I was, grizzly bear or something like that. And then, you know, we fought, we actually like, I think he was kind of like thinking it was a play thing. And then like, I tossed him on his head and he started crying and I felt bad. So like, we stopped it right there. But uh, even, but like I said, even as young as like, I was in preschool, man, and I was fighting people. And one of my earliest memories actually is from, I, I don't even, I have no idea how old I was, must have been three years old, four years old. And I remember wrestling my cousin with my dad cheering me on and my uncle cheering on my cousin. And I kind of like was getting, I, I remember losing, I, it, it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a very vague memory because I was so young, but I, I remember just 
feeling really embarrassed at the fact that like I, I wasn't winning or that I couldn't you know out wrestle and you know my uncle was like so proud of my cousin for like beating me up back then but, like so I, I I've always been sort of enamored with fighting for whatever reason I remember like I said this is three years old I'm getting in little fights in preschool I'm getting in little fights I when I moved to California fourth and fifth grade I got in fights on the playground that's like how I met people in, in sixth grade I had this one thing in heaven and just fought each other like three times probably in the locker room just body shots but like hard beating each other up like I cracked one of my ribs and had to go to swim practice with a hurt rib and I told my swim coach I like slipped and landed on the a bench in a locker room weird so like had to like go through practice for months with this hurt rib and I couldn't swim I just had to kick the whole time so I, for what I don't know what it is man just for whatever reason I've sort of been enamored with being a fighter or, and and just the act of fighting and the toughness behind what it takes to be a fighter and I, I've thought about what why that is and it's, like I said I don't really know because it started so young uh like maybe watching too much Power Rangers or too much violent TV or something I have no idea I honestly have no idea like as I got older and I sort of like got to maybe like middle school and high school age there was definitely a lot of insecurity involved and like that's how I would sort of like uh, overcompensate for like feeling insecure would be like by trying to project this like toughness like I'll fight you I'll fight anybody like I'm not scared and that was like my overcompensating for feeling insecure during in my like teenage years and even in my early 20s it was the same even in college it was the same thing so uh, insecurity probably had a lot to do with it and wanting to at first it was wanting to project this air of like, I'm a fighter, I'm tough, I'm not insecure. And then at some point it became, it sort of transitioned into like, I just don't want to feel that way anymore. So I actually want to learn martial arts and, and get over that, right? When, it, when I was getting in fights in, as a teenager, I was losing fights still. I would get in fights and lose because I didn't, I didn't really know anything. And then around 19 years old, when I was in college, I, that's when I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And that was also, ironically, when I stopped getting in these little stupid street fights because I'd like, I'd maybe because I had an outlet for it then or maybe learning how to actually fight like took away that insecurity that I had and made me feel like I needed to overcompensate. But like, you know, all growing up from childhood, like I said, three years old, all the way up to when I started jujitsu, I was getting in fights all the time. And then I started to learn martial arts for real. And I learned how to fight for real and actually stopped getting in fights. So, uh, I mean, as, and I, that's not coincidental, you know, that's developing real confidence in yourself and not having to project this air of fake confidence. Like I can fight you because I know, and, and also you learn that you're not as tough as you think you are, right? Well, you, I'm sure you yeah. know when you first started jujitsu as well. Like you're getting beat up by old men and people way smaller than you who just manhandle you like you're a baby. So uh, that probably had something to do with it as well. The healthy dose of getting that ego kicked out of you a little bit. Mm. So, I mean, that was sort of the, the genesis of my 
current martial arts journey. Like I said, I started karate when I was a, a, a young boy, but I don't really consider that the beginning. I consider jujitsu the beginning of my martial arts journey because that was like when I really embraced martial arts and when I started to see the value in it and actually get value out of it. Hmm. So you, you talked about kind of your, uh, you started with karate and then you went to jujitsu. Uh, when did you start fighting? So when did you decide you wanted to do MMA and when was your first bout? I always kind of had the idea, even when I first started jujitsu, that at some point in my life, I wanted to have a professional fight. I remember having done jujitsu for like five weeks and I was in college riding the train home with my college roommate. And I remember telling him like, what, listen, I'm, I'm going to have at least one professional fight before I, before out just as a bucket list thing, right? Like I didn't, I started, like I said, I didn't start training jujitsu till 19. So at that age, you don't really know because you see professional athletes and they all start playing their sport when they're kids or whatever. Being a professional fighter is so different than that. But for me, it was, it was just a bucket list thing. I, I knew that I wanted to have at least one professional fight just to say that I did it. Um, because I had been getting in all these stupid fights my whole life. And then I was like, you know, I'm now I want to apply my skills and, and put it towards an actual, something that takes actual dedication and discipline to accomplish. And isn't as a, is a goal that I can be more proud of than getting in drunk bar fights or whatever. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, I just, I remember, I remember saying that to my roommate, uh, as we were taking the train home from college one back to the Bay area one day. And then, you know, life sort of didn't shape out that direction for a while. I mean, I was 19 years old. I was in college till I was 22, almost 23. I was in college for five years. So after that, I graduated and started working and uh, was doing it recruiting. And that was just a job that well. I mean, I, I was very unhappy in that job. Um, part of that was my own mindset was not conducive towards being happy in any job. I was just sort of a negative person in general. Um, but I was the, also the job wasn't the greatest. It was just long hours staring at computer screens all day, not using a lot of brain power, having to meet certain quotas, make 70 calls per day and talk to X mm -hmm. amount of people per day. It was just mentally a very draining job. Like I, uh, I sort of fell out of training for a little while and found myself in a pretty low place. And fortunately I um, moved in with a, a roommate at that time who was a personal trainer and helped me get back into shape physically. And he's the one who showed me Muay Thai. Like I had known about jujitsu because I had been doing it for five years at that point, even though I took a little break when I first started, uh, when first graduated college and started working. And he's sort of the one who pushed me in that direction. Uh, he got me back in shape. Like we, he taught me about dieting. He taught me about how, physical training. Like I had always done jujitsu, but I was still drinking on the weekends and partying, but he's the one who taught me about like living a disciplined lifestyle in terms of dieting and taking care of your body properly. And he's really the first one who convinced me that, you know, professional fighting was something that I, was an attainable goal. 
and like sort of taught me to believe in myself and showed me that I didn't have to be this out of shape party guy who likes drinking and just does jujitsu casually as a hobby. Like I could actually dedicate myself to this and like watch my body physically change and watch my mind get stronger and watch my skills get sharper when I actually dedicate myself to something. Uh, and originally we had the plan together. He worked with me at the same job recruiting. And originally we had the plan together that we were going to both go to Thailand and stay at a Muay Thai camp and train. Um, and he's the one who showed me Muay Thai and he's the one who showed me all the different camps. And we talked about it, man, the whole time we lived together, we talked about it all the time. And then, so eventually I was like, all right, I'm ready to go do this thing. I'm ready to pull the trigger. And uh, he had a girlfriend at the time who wasn't super into the idea of him just packing up and leaving the country. So he ended up not going with me. Um, so I just went by myself, man. Like I said, I wasn't in the greatest place mentally with how I was working. And I found that applying myself to martial arts and like really making martial arts a priority and a goal in my life and really dedicating myself to it gave me a sense of purpose and it just made me feel a lot better about myself than partying on the weekends and you know sort of not want to say wasting my life but not really being dedicated just sort of floating around without real goals uh so martial arts sort of gave me that sense of purpose so i've bought a quit that job bought a one-way ticket to thailand and you know decided that i was going to go fight and at the time i had only probably three months of muay thai training and showed up in thailand and took my first muay thai fight within three months of being there you know first professional muay thai fight with less than six months of training and uh honestly just haven't really looked back since that was that was it man that was the start of the journey and then since then i've I've been in love with martial arts. And like I said, it gives me purpose. It gives me direction. It makes me feel good about myself. So uh, I just haven't looked back. So uh, I wanted to ask you, do you consider yourself uh, a martial artist or a fighter? Uh, and is there a difference in your mind or are they one and the same? That's a good question. Uh, I consider myself a martial artist. I mean, I do fight, but, um, you know, that's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting question. It's kind of a deeper question uh, because for a while I sort of considered myself both. And now I would say I kind of consider myself a martial artist, but more so than anything, I try to just identify as myself, which is like, uh, what, like I was saying, I for so long, I didn't have a clear sense of direction and a clear identity. So when I discovered martial arts and I decided that I wanted to be a professional fighter, I sort of latched on to that as my identity for a while. And it just became like, okay, this is what I am and this is what I dedicate myself to. And that had a lot of positive benefits for me in terms of self-esteem and motivation and discipline and, and meeting the right type of people, like meeting people like you through jujitsu and meeting everyone that like, we have such a strong connection and network with the people that we meet through martial arts. So, you know, it gave me all of those things, but at the same time, you know, you're, you're, 
I was sort of boxing myself into this identity, like I'm Skylar, I'm the fighter, or I'm Skylar, I'm the martial artist. And now I don't really see myself as that. I just see myself as myself. And I feel like that's a healthier personal uh, identity than, than latching on to group identities or latching on to some sort of uh, preconceived ideas about what I want to be or who I am. And, and I have to be these types of things, right? Because we could lose this stuff at any time you get hurt or circumstances arise in life where maybe I would be better off pursuing something else. But if I'm so latched onto the idea that I'm a fighter, maybe I, I don't take the opportunity to pursue those other things. So uh, I sort of had to go from no identity and then latched on to the fighter slash martial artist identity. And I do, there is a difference, I suppose, answering that part of the question. And um, we can double back to that a little bit more if you want to, but sort of going from no identity and sort of being lost in life to finding myself through martial arts and then really latching onto that identity hard and then having to just recently within the last you know, three, four years, sort of step back from that identity and, and learn about myself just as myself, as a person and separate that from the, from being a martial artist. So you touched on uh, one thing I wanted to discuss and that's community in martial arts. Um, you know, I often tell people that, you know, uh, for me, it's jujitsu or, or Muay Thai, you know, if I come to your class, which I really enjoy. Uh, but, you know, I do a lot of, you know, I spend most of my time doing jujitsu. And I really enjoy doing jujitsu and, and, and being, you know, trying to be competitive in it. But sometimes I just sit around and I really appreciate the community that I've built, you know, and a lot, you know, uh, a lot of my best friends are people who I meet and know through jujitsu. So what do you think the importance of community is in martial arts? Uh, and how tight knit would you say it is in the fighting, you know, for the fighters? I mean, I, I feel like it's, I don't want to say it's everything, but I would say it's the main thing. And I would think a lot of people would agree with me on that. And I feel like that's why people, that's one of the main reasons why people fall in love with it so much is it's the, it's a community. It's not just a community. It's a community of people who are actively making each other better and promoting positive values. And there's something to be said for that because there's a lot of communities out there that you can get attached to or drawn into. And, and people do, man, as human beings, we have this need to feel like we belong to a group and have this sense of group identity and so a lot of times that can be detrimental to people's development. So especially what groups you get involved in. I got involved in a lot of groups that probably weren't the greatest for me growing up. So uh, that's the thing about martial arts, right? Like you have to, and martial arts is even, you take it to another level because what we're doing is dangerous, right? You really have to build trust with the people that you're training with because you can hurt each other in jujitsu, especially in MMA and Muay Thai, like we have to spar and, and fight each other for real. Otherwise you're not going to have practice fighting each other when it's time. So when it's time to actually do it in a competition. So you can't, you can't beat the crap out of each other on a daily basis. You have to preserve your brain. You have to preserve your body. And if you don't have training partners that you trust and that you're close with, then you can't do that. You just, 
And also with anything that you do, the longer that you stay in it, you're going to experience some degree of burnout. That's true for every, everything that you stay into. And for me, I've found that it's the, it's the people that keep me going in it. You know, if I, if I didn't have that close bond with the people that I train with, then I, at some point I would have burned out of, of martial arts, but I just dedicated so much of my life to it. There's no way you can do something for eight years every single day and give so much of your thought to it and, and dedicate so much to it without experiencing burnout. But I, I find that it's the community that, and, and the friendships and the, and the connections that I make in martial arts that really keeps me going in it more so than anything else at this point. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't even really have friends that aren't in martial arts. So I would have no friends probably if I didn't do martial arts at this point. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure every single friend, I mean, like I have friends that I grew up with who I still consider myself very close with, but you know, I grew up in California and I don't live there anymore. None of my, none of those friends that I grew up with and had that close bond with growing up live near me. So I see them maybe once a year. So like I said, I, I wouldn't really have connections with anyone if it wasn't for martial arts. So, uh, I mean, for me, it's, I mean, that's the only way that I even meet people these days. So <laughs> How, how welcoming is the community in your, uh, you know, in your opinion, how, how welcoming, how opening, how open the newcomers is that community? Uh, it, I would say very welcoming, like, especially with jujitsu, you see so many new people coming into jujitsu uh, all the time. I mean, if there's, if there's an aspect of it, that's not welcoming. It's just because so many people do it so often. And it's like, I like I've been doing it for for years, right? So I've seen so much turnover. It, it almost gets to a point where it's like, you know, I, I'm gonna be friendly with every single person that I meet in the gym, but it's almost like I gotta see you for a while at this point before I'm really gonna be friends with you. Like I'm not uh, just because I've seen so much turnover throughout my martial arts journey. Pe even people who are still involved in martial arts leaving the gym, like. I mean, you know, man, you've been in ground control for probably longer than me or just as long. And Five years now. Yeah. And, and we've seen even people, like I said, even people who we started with who are still training, who have moved on and started their own gyms or moved on to different gyms. So uh, I would say that the sport itself is very welcoming because you're going to any new person who shows up is going to meet new people who are fresh faced and excited about it. And they're going to be super stoked to see you every day and to train with you every day. So, uh, but then like me personally, um, I wouldn't say I'm the most welcoming. Like I said, I I'm friendly to everyone that I meet and I'm open to discuss martial arts with every single person that I meet, but I'm not going to go out of my way necessarily to like start friendships with brand new people at the gym, just because, like I said, I've been around this for so long. I see this turnover. I wait till I see, I, I give it a few months. I, I want to see someone show up for six months and see how dedicated they are. And then I'll really start to put some, some real effort into that person. It's a little bit different because I teach also. So people show up to my class and I'm going to make sure that you have a good experience when you come to my class, because that's just how I want to project martial arts. That's, that's the, 
I want people to have a good experience when they get started in martial arts because I want them to stick with it. I know the transformative power of martial arts because I've experienced it. So I don't want to chase people off their first day because I was, you know, not a friendly or welcoming instructor or whatever, but in terms of, you know, forming close friendships and stuff with people, it's, that's going to take a little bit longer at this point, you know, you got to show up for a while before I'm going to invite you to the barbecues and stuff. But it's, uh, I would say like as a whole, martial arts is super welcoming, especially jujitsu. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can relate to that. You know, you see a lot of, in, you know, in jujitsu, so many new people try it and it's not for everyone. So they don't stick around. And as someone who tries to really focus on their training, I can't, you know, sometimes I don't even want to be at training because it's my second training of the day and I'm already tired and I don't have uh, the energy to be bubbly and friendly. You know, I'm here to train and it's kind of a grind for me. Yeah. It's your second day and you want to like challenge, you know, and you just, want to be all bubbly and friendly and talk to me. It's like, it's not my, it's not that time. Like I want to see you come and put that work in, you know, let's roll together for a couple months and then we can kind of build that closer relationship. So I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, man. And I know, I know for sure that you can relate to that. And that's, I mean, that's just new people wanting, I mean, I, I can't hold that against anyone. You know, they want to be friendly and they want to come off well to people. I think they just don't, there's different, people approach training for different reasons, right? Some people join training because they want to find that sense of community and make these friends. And so they're going to come off and be a lot more friendly. And then some people are about it because they want to approach it from a, they want to compete or they want to find that competitive outlet. And that person is going to approach it a little bit differently. So it's sort of, that's the thing though you know whatever the reasons people have for joining it are for joining martial arts are they're going to be able to find someone else in the gym who joined for those same reasons and form connections with those people from the Mm -hmm. most hardcore training partners to the most casual who show up once a week twice a week like there's 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 something for everyone to get out of martial arts and it's just about finding the right people and finding the right gym because each gym has their own sort of vibe and their own sort of goals behind what they're trying to what the main people there are trying to accomplish so uh but the martial arts is so popular these days there's gyms on every corner it seems like so whatever the whatever someone's getting into it for you're going to be able to find the right gym and you're going to be able to find the right training partners so uh even if someone you know anyone listening to this who's thinking about trying it and you know is maybe scared of doing it like all i can say is every gym has free trial memberships go try out five different gyms and i guarantee you're going to find one with the right people and that you like that you vibe with so it's just a matter of putting yourself out there and you're gonna if you you're gonna get something out of it no matter what you're looking for that's just the truth absolutely um, what is, uh, so let's, let's kind of shift gears here. What is the importance of being competitive to you? Like what drives you to continue to fight, uh, and, and to be competitive in this sport? Well, it's, it's shifted as I get older, you know, like motivations for things change, uh, regardless of what it is, martial arts, competitiveness, or, you know, whatever, everyone's motivations are going to change as they get older. Uh, when I first started 
and I sort of like latched on to the idea that I was going to be a professional fighter and that was my identity. I just wanted to sort of prove that I could make that happen. And I've always been competitive. Uh, I've always needed some sort of competitive outlet from the time when I was playing basketball or swimming growing up or uh, just, you know, playing pickup sports with my friends. I was always that guy who was probably a little bit too overly competitive and was a little off-putting to people at times just because I took things too seriously and was too competitive about things. So uh, fighting is probably the best outlet for that that I've ever found um, because you can't have fighting is not something that you can half ass. So you, you, if you're not overly competitive like that, then you're just not going to make it in fighting as a professional fighter, fighting people in a cage, right? You can train and do martial arts casually, but you can't, you can't fight someone in a cage casually. So uh, that was sort of probably the motivation was, it was just a competitive outlet for me, uh, especially as you, you know, when you're growing up, you always have sports that you can play in school. In college, there's always sports that you can play to find those competitive outlets. And then when you're 24, 25, 26, and you're entering the real world, there's this transition period where it's like, well, if I still want to have, be as competitive as I want to be, like, what's the outlet, right? Like, is it, am I just that guy who's going to pick up, you know, slow pitch softball, but take it way too seriously? And (laughs) Right. Like I, so I just happened to stumble into martial arts and realized that this was an outlet that you can pursue to, to keep that competitive fire burning as long as you want. There's people who are competing in their fifties, sixties, probably older and taking it seriously and competing for real. So martial arts is a lifelong way to have an outlet for that competitive energy, which I think is healthy for everyone. Uh, even if, if you're not the most competitive person every once in a while getting out there and, and testing yourself is it's healthy for the ego. It's healthy to develop the discipline that it takes to actually do it. Um, and then now, so, you know, like I said, it, there's always been that competitive outlet side of things. I think when I was younger, I sort of wanted to prove to other people that, I wasn't crazy to quit my job at 24 years old and buy a one-way ticket to Thailand. I wanted to prove that like I had what it takes to actually do this. And it was sort of about showing other people that I could do it and I had what it takes to do it. And then as I've gotten older, it's more about just proving things to myself, man, continuing to every, every fight, because I fight once a year, twice a year. Mm. So I grow up so much in between fights. And I, I feel like my personality and my motivations for fighting change so much in between every fight because it's so long in between every fight. I haven't fought in a year because of COVID, you know? And mm-hmm. I, I feel like everybody has grown up, hopefully a bit like during this COVID period, all the self-isolation that we had to do, uh, all the introspection that we had to do and just sort of the way that our lives got shaken up. I feel like everybody has grown up a lot during this period. Um, so now it's, it's more about proving certain things to myself. Fighting takes a lot of courage. Uh, the, just to sign up for a fight and do it takes a lot of courage. 
And then once you're in there and actually fighting the way you fight, you know, is dictated by how courageous you are and how, how, how brave you can be in those moments. So now it's more about continuing to prove those things to myself. And it's about the process of, uh, I would say personal growth and just being a stronger person and being a braver person. And, uh, and also like I teach and I have a lot of young students who I feel look up to me and I want to inspire them to show them that like, I was just a normal guy, man. I was out of shape drinking every weekend and I decided to dedicate myself to this and it, I ended up here and mm -hmm. I started, I didn't start till I was 24. So if I, if I didn't do that, then literally anybody could do this. It takes discipline and, and dedication and courage and that's it. And I want to show people that if you have those things, then you can pursue this. Uh, fighting changed my life, man. It gave me, like I said, it gave me direction in a time when I feel not just direction, but healthy direction and a healthy sense of identity during a time when I feel, you know, young people oftentimes don't have that. I certainly didn't have it myself. And I know a lot of young people get into martial arts for the same reason. They're sort of floating around in life and they feel like they should be getting something more out of it or more, something more out of themselves. And they don't really know how to do that or even what that should be. Uh, and so as I get older, it's just about showing my students that, you know, it, you can, you can develop a positive sense of identity. And if you have goals in, in martial arts, whether it's to be a professional fighter or whether it's just to be a better person, all of that is possible through martial arts. If you apply yourself and dedicate yourself to it. So, uh, you know, inspiring people is probably at the top of my list of what keeps that competitive drive and why I would still put myself through the sacrifices that are required to, to fight people in a cage. And it's a lot of sacrifices. What's your age? I'm not sure if we, if we cover that when you introduce yourself, how old are you? I'm 31. Um, mm -hmm. I turned 32 on the 26th of this month. So, oh. um, so young, man, I'm still young. And, uh, but when you think of a professional athlete, you don't think of someone who started training at 24 years old. Uh, I mean, I started Muay Thai at 24 years. Old. I guess I started jujitsu younger, but you know, my, my fighting style, I use mostly Muay Thai. So uh, you think of, you think of someone who like, at least I did, right? Like when I, when I thought of professional athletes, when I was a kid growing up or when I was in a teenager, I thought of someone who, was just like physically blessed with these attributes of being an athlete and who uh, maybe their parents put them in their sport from age five and pushed them to go to the gym every morning. And, you know, someone who was just kind of born for whatever professional sport they ended up doing. Uh, and in some cases that's probably true, right? Like with the NBA, I, no matter how hard I dedicated myself to basketball, I wasn't going to make it to the NBA. Uh, probably never dunk right but mm -hmm. but fighting is not that and all a big part of the reason is because there's weight classes in fighting so you know i don't have to go fight a guy who's six eight 250 pounds i fight guys who are the same size as me so mm -hmm. uh and then also because the other thing about fighting is 
I mean, it's, there's so much more that goes into it than just being good at it. You have to have so much dedication and mental toughness that you can, you can get by without necessarily being blessed with all of the physical attributes or whatever the case may be, because there's, and also there's so many ways to be good at fighting as well, right? Because it's mixed martial arts. So maybe you're a good wrestler. Maybe you have long arms and you're good at punching. Maybe you have long legs and you're good at kicking. Maybe you're very flexible and you're good at jujitsu. Maybe you're just very strategic and you can come up with ways to beat people through strategy. Maybe you have good cardio and you just, you know, you push a high pace and beat people that way. So like, you know, all these other sports, you're sort of boxed into, you know, whatever the game, whatever the game you're playing is, that's the game. But with fighting, you just get locked in a cage and you figure out how to win the fight from that point. So there's a, you can, there's a lot more ways to develop yourself and a lot more ways to be creative about it. So I feel like the barriers to entry in professional fighting are a lot lower than they are in other professional sports. I mean, you also get paid a lot less, so I wouldn't mm. necessarily consider myself a professional. That's, uh, I, you know, but it is what it is. It's, it's not about that. It's, it's about the other things that I get from it. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know if you want to talk about this, uh, three days out before your fight, uh, if you've developed a strategy, but you kind of talked about your game. Uh, and if you're willing to talk about maybe the style that you've developed or, you know, kind of, uh, your strategy when you're in there, uh, I'd like to hear about it. I'm sure other people would. Well, I, I, I would say that I, like I said, I started with jujitsu, which is ground fighting for people who don't really uh, know martial arts that much. Brazilian jujitsu is sort of, you can think of it like wrestling, but instead of trying to pin your opponents, you're trying to submit them by choking them or bending their arm in the wrong direction or, you know, manipulating their limbs until they are about to break and they need to tap out and quit. So jujitsu is ground fighting. And that's sort of what I started with. And then I, when I moved to Thailand, I started Muay Thai, which is kickboxing essentially. Uh, and I just gravitated towards that style of fighting a little bit more, the stand-up style of fighting. Uh, it's a bit more fast twitch. Um, and it's just, uh, I, I always describe it like they call jujitsu like human chess because there's like, there's so much strategy involved in it and you got to think so many steps ahead. And I always said that if jujitsu is chess, then Muay Thai is dodgeball. I mean, that's how different the two are, right? They're, they're both, you know, they're, they're both martial arts, but they're so different in the types of thinking that go involved in it and the types of muscle memory that you need to develop and the types of reactions that you need to develop within yourself. So I, for whatever reason, I just gravitated more towards the striking style. Um, and so that's, that's how I fight. I go in there and I, I control distance well. I have a very good sense of timing and a good sense of distance. Um, so def so that makes me very strong defensively. It's hard for guys to hit me because I can always stay just out of the range of their punches and kicks, I feel. Um, and, you know, in terms of a strategy, it's not so much a strategy because the fight is so chaotic. And when you go in there, it's all adrenaline and muscle memory. Uh, so it's not so much like a, a preset strategy of these are the things that I'm going to do. And these are the moves that I'm going to make. 
it's more of a mindset that I want to have in there. I want to be able to be confident and confidently hit that flow state so that I'm just reacting and I'm just flowing in that moment and, and taking the fight as it comes. Uh, so I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a strategy. I mean, you do come up with certain things. You, you watch your opponent's fights and you see that maybe he has a tendency to throw this punch uh, a little bit more, or he throws this kick a little bit more frequently. So you, you're going to have specific counters or specific defenses built in that you train for specific opponents in, in specific situations. But for me, it's, it's more of a mindset. I just, I want to be confident and I, I want to feel loose out there. Uh, and I, I just want to be able to hit that flow state where I'm just in that moment reacting uh, and, and not overthinking things and, and just having fun, man, and just flowing and feeling the rhythm of the fight. Um, and when I and when I get into that good flow, I mean, I usually have very good performances. So as long as I'm in that flow state, then things are going to happen that the way they should. Can you take us through your uh, how you prepare physically and your training from the time where like you're just training, you don't have any fights scheduled uh, until, you know, you 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 know, the fight's coming up, you sign the contract and then you have your camp up until fight day. Like, what does that look like? So I, I used to. When I first started martial arts. And I was just like so in love with it and so obsessed with it. I would just be constantly training, man, twice a day as much as I could. I started in college and I skipped a lot of classes to go train martial arts. And so I, I would just train at, I would just be training as much as I could. And then when I moved to Thailand, I was training twice a day, every day, um, it, just because I loved it so much. And then over time, I wouldn't say that the love has necessarily gone away. I still love it as much as I did when I first started just in different ways, but you know, I'm not a young man anymore. So I need to focus on other aspects of my life now. And I can't just be in a position where all I can do is focus on martial arts. You know, I have relationships, I have work responsibilities. So, and the older I get, the more these other responsibilities start to take precedence. So, uh, I would say that like when I'm not in a fight camp, I would, I train, I mean, I, so pre pre COVID I was teaching seven classes a week. Uh, and those seven classes were spread out over three days. So just by virtue of teaching that many classes, I was, you know, I, I was going to always find myself in the gym now post COVID I'm only teaching two days a week and it's just two classes but you know those two days a week those are two days that I'm half I'm in the gym every single week you know Thursdays and Saturdays no matter what I'm in the gym training because you know whether I'm teaching or whether I'm doing my own training I'm, I'm learning um, and then I would say on top of that I probably train once or twice more so I would say if I, if I don't have a fight coming up, I'm in the gym three to four days per week doing my own training. Um, and then the rest of the time I'm focused on work or focused on dating or personal stuff like that. Uh, and then when, a, when I have a fight coming up, 
then I'm doing some sort of training or physical work six days a week. Uh, and that physical work could include yoga. It could include going to the sauna and ice bath and taking care of my body could be hard training could be uh in the gym doing light training i am in there six days a week i've been at it long enough one thing that one thing that martial arts and, and being a, an athlete has done for me is i feel like i'm very in tune with my body with how my body is feeling and how much i can push and what my body need when i need to recover when i can push hard um so, and I'm, I've also, I've always kind of been the guy who doesn't need someone looking over my shoulder to push me. Just the, just the, just the fact that I have to get into a cage and fight someone is enough of motivation for me to work hard. You know, I don't need someone standing over my shoulder telling me to push harder, push harder. So I would say, you know, when I'm in fight camp, it's six days a week, I'm doing some sort of physical preparation for the fight um like i said and some of that training is hard training some of that training is light training some of that is recovery days where i'm doing physical recovery like yoga or taking care of my body in, in the cold tub or in, in the hot tub um and then uh sometimes i'll double it up and do double days but at 31, I can't do the amount of double days that I used to be able to do when I was 26. And I find that I don't really need to either, to be honest. Yeah. I, I'm more of the mindset that it's quality training sessions over the quantity of training sessions now. When I was a young man and I first got into martial arts, it was just train as much as possible. Just train, train, train every day, twice a day. Just get in the sessions. And now it's more about having the correct mindset going into the session and not just making it through just to say that I did it, but going in with a, with a, with a good sense of focus and getting something out of every single training session. Meaning if I have to do less training sessions in a week or less hard training sessions in a week to physically and mentally recover, then that's what I'll do. But uh, now, like I said, now with the other things going on in my life, it's, it's much more about quality rather than quantity. But it's still a lot, man. Six sessions a week is still a lot, too. So oh, yeah. my life basically revolves around working and fighting when I sign a fight contract. So not much else uh, not much else that I can focus on besides those two things. Mm -hmm. How do you begin to taper your training as you approach the fight to make sure that you're fresh come fight day? Um... We push hard all the way up until two weeks before the fight. The last week of training, we, uh, I would say we train hard. We train at a high intensity, but we decrease the volume. So shorter sessions, shorter sessions, but very high intensity. Uh, and then the last week is primarily focused on recovery and the weight cut. So that's what I'm in right now. I had, um, so what, what is today is Monday, Saturday, Friday, Friday. I didn't, I, Thursday I trained Friday. I rested 
Saturday, I drove up here to Connecticut, so I rested. Yesterday, I did just a little bit of shadow boxing and stretching, bounced around in my hotel room a little bit. Today, we went down to the gym and we did about 30 minutes to an hour of uh, very situational stuff, like things that we want to look for in the fight, just to like get one last like muscle memory burn in. Uh, tomorrow I'm cutting weight, so I'm not going to be physically in a position to train at all or really do anything besides just like try to keep myself conscious as I lose these last 10 pounds. Uh, and then Wednesday is about rehydrating and refueling. So Wednesday night, after I've sort of refueled a bit, I might do some shadow boxing and some moving around just to get the blood flowing a little bit. And then Thursday is the day of the fight. Thursday morning, we'll go down in the morning and warm up. We'll do a quick shakeout. Like I said, go over, probably spend about 30 minutes just breaking a quick sweat and going over those fight-specific drills, situations that we want to look at one more time. And then that's it, man. And then go fight, go, you know, show up Thursday night, do a little warm up. Uh, but more than anything, just get my mind right and then go fight. And then that's it. So let's talk more about the weight cut. Cause you're currently in the weight cut and I can see uh, you look skinnier than when I saw you last yeah. week. I can see yeah. it in your cheeks and around yeah. your eyes. Very noticeable. Oh, yeah. So uh, I remember we were, talking uh during covid and you had talked about putting on 10 pounds so how much did you weigh you know back in april the heaviest that i got during covid was probably like 172 174 probably i would say I, that's normally i hover anywhere between like 160 and 165 and i was up to like probably 174 at my heaviest during covid uh, and that was like around April, like you said, that was when I first got back into the gym. And I, as soon as I started training again, those 10 pounds pretty much evaporated. So, uh, yeah. I was right back down to my like 165 and 160 between 160 and 165 range. And where are you going to weigh in? What weight do you need to make come Thursday or Wednesday night? Wednesday, one Wednesday morning, oh. luckily for me, uh, 136. Ooh. Yeah. So take us through the process of 160 down to 136. And what's that timeline look like? Well, normally I don't go all the way down to 136. Normally I go to 146, which is a very, I would say, easy might not be the right word, but reasonable like pretty, pretty straightforward. I mean, honestly, I'll, I'll use the word easy. I can make 146 very easily. And I have made it very easily for all my other fights from 160 to when I'm, let's say I'm one sick, waking up at 160 pounds, first thing in the morning, mm -hmm. this is me eating a clean ish diet. Like most of the time I eat pretty healthy, but I, I eat very carb heavy diets. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm half Chinese, so my body just processes rice well. So I just mm -hmm. like house rice all the time. Uh, I love Panda Express also. So like I go pretty hard at Panda Express. Uh, but like I, I don't, I wouldn't say I eat that 
cleanly, just in my standard to, to be around 165 pounds. I don't need to be militant with my diet. So just by eliminating Panda Express and Lido's Pizza, I can get down to about 158 and hover around that range. And then um, from that point down, it's about manipulating the levels of carbohydrates that you're taking in uh, because carbs hold more water. I think it's like 2.3, I don't know, ounces, grams, whatever the, whatever the volume yeah. is. It's something like that per, mm -hmm. per the equivalent amount of carbohydrates that you have. So because carbs hold more water just by reduce and because I normally eat so carb heavy, just by starting to wean carbs out of my diet, I can get down to 152, 153 pounds pretty quickly. So like I was hovering around once, waking up around 160 in the mornings. And then when I signed this fight, it was four and a half weeks notice mm -hmm. where I knew that I was going to have to get down to 136. So I had four and a half weeks at that point. Basically, as soon as I signed the contract, I started cutting back on carbs right away. And within two weeks, I was down to probably about 152 pounds, just because mm -hmm. the, the, the two things happened, right? The volume of my training increased when I signed the contract, I went from those, you know, three to four sessions a week that we were talking about to six sessions a week. And the amount of carbohydrates that I was eating got tapered off. So just those two factors, the increase in training and the decrease in carbohydrates brought me from about 160 to about 152. And then I hovered at that range, honestly, until I showed up here for fight week. At that point, uh, I mean, I'm so lean right now anyway, that I don't have excess body fat to lose. So it's about uh, at this point now, it's, it's about even further carbohydrate and sodium manipulation. So what I'll do, what I did was like the a few days before I came out here, I just loaded up on sodium and I started water loading so that my body would hold, uh, would just store all this extra water, right? So I was adding sodium to basically everything that I was eating and just slamming two gallons of water a day. Uh, and I continued doing that all the way up until yesterday. Well, sorry, until... Uh, Saturday was two about two gallons of water per day and still loading up on sodium. And then on Sunday, I completely cut the sodium out, but I kept the water going through my system. So I just flushed all the excess sodium that I had out of my system. And because my body now is in, uh, it's like, it's super hydrated, right? Because I'm used to drinking two gallons a day. So it's just expelling water. I'm peeing all the time. I, I break a sweat much easier. But, and then to starting today, I cut the water off also. So my body is still sort of in that super hydrated flush mode where I'm peeing all the time and uh, breaking sweats easy, but I'm not giving my body as much water and I completely cut out the sodium. So I'm not holding any water, uh, not holding as much water as I would either. So through doing, and then tonight I went and I sat in, I, you know, I, plugged up the shower with a bunch of towels. So it gathered all, so it basically turned into a makeshift steam room, uh, sat in there for about 35 minutes and went from, uh, I woke up on Saturday, 
uh, Sunday morning, that was a Saturday night before I went to bed because I was so sodium and water loaded. I was about 156 pounds. Uh, Sunday night before I went to bed, I was about 152 pounds. Tonight, after cutting out the water and, and continuing with no sodium and going to sweat out some, I'm probably about 146 pounds. So uh, I'll wake up tomorrow, hopefully two, two to three pounds lighter. Um, and then I have seven more pounds to go. So uh, basically I'll, I'll drink some water in the morning. I'll have some coffee just to give me some energy. And then that will be my last water for the next 24 hours. I won't drink any more water. So every time I pee, that's weight loss. I won't eat any more food. So basically no more weight is going into me after 10 a.m. tomorrow. And then uh, over the course, just naturally, I'll probably burn, you know, three to four pounds just from peeing and uh, exhaling, you know, evaporating water. Uh, three to four pounds and then there's probably four to five pounds that need to be sweat out as well and that's going to involve creating another makeshift steam room and suffering through that that's the not fun part so tomorrow's going to suck basically like it's not fun to dehydrate yourself for 24 hours when you're already a little bit dehydrated so uh, and I, I've never had to go down to 136 before I only did this because this it's a big opportunity for me. And this was the only fight that they had available for me. So, mm-hmm. like I said, normally I only have to go down to 145, which I'm there right now. So I would have made that no problem, but you know, now I have an extra 10 pounds to go. So, uh, but also I'm doing this one a lot differently. Normally I don't do the sodium loading. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't, you know, cut back on the carbohydrates hardly at all because it's so easy for me to make 145. I can kind of just sweat out the last pounds and, it, it is what it is, but this one, I've been more scientific about it. I did more research about it and uh, I have to be a little bit more disciplined with it and suffer a little bit more through it, but it's, it is what it is. It's part of the process. Mm-hmm. All righty. So I also, one, one of the really important things I wanted to talk to you about is the mental game and mindset. So you are uh, an incredibly pleasant person to be around. And even if you're just faking it, you are very, you know, you do have a little more of a bubbly personality. Uh, take us through the process of getting into the mindset. Like, and then, you know, again, like up until you step in the ring. Yeah, that's, uh, I've, I've tried a lot of different approaches to how, what mindset I want to be in during the fight and approaching the fight, because you're right. Like, I, even though, like I said, I've gotten into a lot of fights growing up, it was, I was never like, I wouldn't call myself like hyper aggressive or like have that super, uh, alpha, like type a personality. Uh, I've always been more casual and and laid back about things and sort of, like you said, a, a bit more bubbly. Uh, so it's not, a natural thing for me to like want to physically cause violence or pain to someone. So I don't really approach fighting like that. I, one thing that I, uh, I listened to Conor McGregor say was that, you know, there is no opponent. It's just a, it's just a nameless faceless set of moves that you're trying to figure out. It's almost like, 
I mean, it's almost like facing a boss in a video game, right? Like when you fight someone, they have a, they have a specific subset of moves that they can throw at you. And it's like, it's a puzzle. You need to go in there and, and sort of gauge and get a re, get a feel for what this guy's moves are that he's going to try to throw at you and where his openings are. And then at that point, it's just about being in the right mindset to act decisively when you see the openings. And so it's not really about causing physical pain or violence to someone. It's about reacting swiftly and confidently when you see the opening. And the result of that is pain and violence, but I'm not approaching it from the standpoint of I'm trying to hurt this guy or I don't like this guy. I want to, you know, cause pain to him. It's more of just like, I want to, I want to see the openings and react when I see the openings confidently and, and decisively. And the, the outcome of those things is causing pain because it's a painful sport, but, uh, it's not, I mean, that's not really my mindset going into it. I just want, like I was saying earlier, like I touched on briefly earlier, I just want to be confident so that when I'm in there, I'm just flowing and reacting and I'm, I'm not thinking anymore. It's just, everything is coming naturally. And, you know, truthfully, that's, uh, that's sort of what drew me to fighting as well. Uh, when I, when I used to do sports growing up, like basketball or swimming, I was always very talented but I would get super nervous come competition, especially with basketball, with people watching me. Like I would, on the playground, I would be the man and just like known as the guy, like the number one player, man, who the a playmaker. But when I got into the like organized games, I would just freeze up because like there was just too much pressure and like the nerves got to me. Uh, but with fighting, that doesn't happen because it's all adrenaline and it's fight or flight. You know, the human body is so amazing. When someone is physically attacking you, your body is going to respond. I mean, like I said, it's fight or flight, right? So I guess some people freeze or, or run away, but you know, you sort of, as a professional fighter, you're, you've programmed yourself to fight. And so that's what happens when someone attacks you, you fight. And it's just instinct at that point. You're not really thinking about things. You're not you're not thinking about the moment or the nerves. You're just in that, you're just fighting, man. So, uh, and reacting to however the situation presents itself. Uh, if you're in the right mindset, that is. And there's been fights where I haven't really been in that mindset. So it's, it's more about just putting myself in that confident mindset and finding that flow state. It sounds like you really focus a lot on yourself and kind of uh, being the best you can when you step in the ring. It's, it sounds more personal than about the fact that you have an opponent. That's, I would say a hundred percent. Yeah. You're right about that. Um, I wanted to uh, also talk, you recently did have some injuries. You broke your hand twice and your foot once. Yeah. How does that impact you? I mean, how's that impact your training and, and your mindset? Well, breaking your hand, first of all, that sucks a lot. Uh, I broke, I, so I like in my first amateur MMA fight, I broke my hand and now it was just a stupid mistake. I, I just didn't make a tight fist when I punched. And as soon as I hit him, I felt it. And I was like, oh, wow, that was like, you have so much adrenaline during the fight. When I broke it, I felt that something was not good. 
but it didn't really hurt. I just knew that it was bad. And after the fight, obviously it hurt a lot. Uh, That was like probably the most painful injury that I've had through martial arts and fighting. Um, And at the time I was living with my dad and he was out of town. So I was like watching his dog for him. And it's like this gigantic uh, Rottweiler that I had to like take on walks. Like my foot was jacked up. My hand was jacked up. So I'm like limping around on crutches, trying to walk this gigantic dog, like trying to pick up its poop. And like, I can't even manipulate my right hand at all. So I'm like trying to tie poo bags with just my left hand. That was like, that was a very inconvenient injury. Uh, And I knew I, I messed it up pretty badly, but I was scared that if I went to the doctor, I would, they would want me to do surgery. So, and I didn't want to do surgery. So I didn't go to the doctor. I just like got a little carabiner and used that as a makeshift splint and then like wrapped it up and, and then just let it heal on its own. Or so I thought, uh, and then, um, I fought again four months after that, which it was not healed. First of all, I didn't heal it properly. I used a makeshift splint and then it just wasn't enough time. I think the the bone itself was healed when I fought again, but the soft tissue was still weakened. So when I fought again, four months later, I broke it again, same metacarpal, but a different spot in the metacarpal because like, I mean, I don't need to tell you this, but you know, like when you break a bone and it, it like re it heals, it like calcifies around the break and it becomes stronger in that area. So when I broke my, it's my second metacarpal on my right hand. And when I broke it the first time, it was at the base. And then the base, like now is just this like lump of solidified bone because I never got it set properly. Uh, but then when I fought again the second time, because the soft tissue was still damaged and like the tendon uh, was damaged from the first break, it just wasn't held in place firmly. So I broke the same metacarpal, but at the closer to the knuckle this time. Um, and then after I broke it the second time, I was like, I should probably not fight for a while. So I, I took about a year off of fighting. I still trained. I just didn't hit hard with that hand. I would say I took probably like three months off of training completely. And then I came back and, but it probably took me, I mean, I fought again, like a year after that. Um, but I fought that entire fight from Southpaw stance, like with my non-dominant hand as my strong hand, because I was still so scared to, I was still so unconfident in the strength of that hand. It probably took two years before I really regained the confidence in that hand. And now like, like I said, now that it's healed and like the it's had time to fully heal, it feels stronger to me. Like both where both of those breaks were, I can like feel where my bone is. Cause again, I never got it set properly. So it's like kind of offset and then like calcifies around the break. So like it's just this lump of, of bone now that feels way stronger. Um, and then breaking my foot, uh, you know, that's painful too. crawling to the bathroom at night when you need to pee is not the most fun. Uh, especially the first night after you break it, that's like the go to bed and it feels okay because you still have adrenaline from pumping from the fight. So, you, you know, you fall asleep, but then, like I said, you wake up to pee and it's like, you know, it's like, okay, it doesn't really hurt too bad. And I start either crawling or 
hopping on one foot to go to the bathroom and like halfway there I just double over in pain because like the foot wakes up and remembers that it's broken and it's like but then like the 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 broken foot like I would say within like four days the pain is like 80 to 90 percent gone and then I just I put it in a boot and I can walk around with the boot and crutches and it's fine the hand is much more of a pain in the ass because you know I need to use my hands a lot more frequently so um yeah, breaking my foot. Uh, I I don't know. It's obviously it affects you a lot, but it comes with the comes with the territory. Selling it, selling the professional uh, fighter lifestyle there. Yeah, well, um, listen, man, it's not for everyone. If if you're worried about broken hands and feet, it, then it's probably not for you anyway. If you're worried about injuries, so it makes you it makes you tougher mentally and. I mean, that's the process of growth, right? You break things down and then they rebuild themselves stronger, whether you're lifting weights or whether you're becoming a stronger person mentally or physically, you have to break yourself down to rebuild yourself stronger. So uh, you put yourself through enough pain and it, it lessens the other types of pain that you go through in life, which everybody is going to go through pain in life. Yeah. So that pain is unavoidable, whether be it physical or mental. So uh you choose, you choose your suffering in life. And so you harden yourself through combat and other pains don't seem quite as bad. I would agree with that. I uh, certainly agree with that. I have uh, just a couple more questions before I let you get your rest. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask uh, when we were talking about mindset and uh, I noticed uh, uh, having seen you go, go through these fights over the years that you always buzz your head. You know, you always cut your hair very short right before a fight. Is that, is that something you do to get you into that mindset or is it just happens to you? Just coincidence. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I would, yeah, it's part of, it's part of the mindset. It, it's funny. Cause in Thailand, I had kind of the opposite mindset in Thailand. You fight so frequently um, in Muay, just in Muay Thai, they fight much more frequently than we do in MMA. So in Thailand, what I would do is I would shave my head right after a fight. And then if my hair was growing too long, I knew I was going too long in between fights and it was time to fight again. Uh, but in America, in MMA, we, you don't fight as frequently. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just part of it, I suppose. And I just, honestly, I like the feeling of having shorter hair anyway, to be honest. Sometimes when my hair gets too long, I start having dreams that it's like coming into my eyes and stuff. So, I think, I think subconsciously, I just don't like having long hair anymore. All right. Uh, so what, what does the future hold for you? Like, where do you see, where do you see yourself down the road in the next five years, in the next 15 years? You know, what are you, uh, what are your longer term goals? Uh, I want to, I, I, I want to create the type of life where I have freedom and autonomy to be the person that I want to be um, and, and to use my time the way that I want to use it. And I don't, obviously it, it takes work to get to that point, but, but I feel like I've made tremendous strides in that area. Uh, my hobbies are, my, I mean, my hobby is fighting, but uh, it also brings me income and it also brings me 
well-being and purpose and enjoyment and community. So I have ho- I have a hobby that allows me to make money and fulfills me in all these other areas of my life. I have a job that pays well, that allows me to work from home and set my own hours, that has a lot of opportunities for advancement. I actually just turned down. I mean, I've been in the in the four years I've been working there, like I said, I've been promoted from being the absolute bottom of the totem pole to now being like a lead. And I just actually turned down a promotion because I don't, they didn't feel like they offered me enough money for the promotion that they were trying to get me to, 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 for the position they were trying to get me to step into. So uh, I, I'm very blessed with where I'm at in my life. I live a very comfortable life uh, and I live a very fulfilling life. So I want to continue to develop myself in the, in the current channels that I'm pursuing. I want to continue to develop myself. And ultimately the goal would be to own my own businesses so that I have the autonomy to work for myself, whether that business be related to fighting or whether it be related to the type of work that I'm doing in my nine to five job. Uh, or whether it be owning properties and making passive income from my properties. Um, the, I have a lot of doors that are potentially open to me. Uh, like I said, be it through fighting or be it through my career. And so I'm very blessed to be in the position that I'm in. And I sort of I sort of manifested all this stuff for myself without formally manifesting it these are the things that i used to think about all the time when i was in my teenage years and in my early 20s i used to i used to think about having this this type of job where i get to work from home and i used to think about being a professional fighter fighting at this level and teaching martial arts and having the confidence and and the character that i do now i used to think about this stuff all the time but it just sort of it came to fruition, man. I didn't, I didn't really have a clear path on how any of this was going to happen. And it just happened by me mm-hmm. believing in it and me staying true to, to what my vision was. So I, I don't know how the next 15 years or five years will play out, but I have a lot of doors that are open to me. And that's why I say, you know, I don't want to pigeon my pigeonhole myself into saying, you know, I'm Skylar, the professional fighter, or I'm Skylar, the, this it's, I want, I'm just Skylar and whatever door presents itself that I, I find the most rewarding and, and the most promising, I'm going to pursue that one. Excellent. Uh, any, any final thoughts or words? Not really, man. Just thank you for doing this. It was, uh, I had a lot of fun and uh, I'm ready to go take a few sips of water and then weigh myself and get some sleep and start the real weight cut. So, uh, yeah, no, that's, I don't really have anything else to say. Just, you know, shout out to all our ground control teammates. Hopefully some people, hopefully you guys are watching this and thank you guys for supporting me on this journey, man. Like it really means a lot. I've had such a outpouring of support always, even before, like, this is a big fight for me, but even when I was doing my amateur fights and, uh, the fights didn't mean anything. Like I've always had so much support from people at ground control and from just people in my network, even outside of ground control at all the various jobs that I've worked over the years and all the various people that I've met in my life have, have really supported me 
So uh, I just feel very grateful for that. And I uh, hope I make you guys proud when I fight on Thursday. I think I will. I'm, I'm ready for this fight and I, I'm going to fight hard and I'm going to fight very skillfully. And uh, I hope I make you guys proud. I have no doubt. Uh, where can people watch the fights? The fights are available, correct? Yeah, the fight is uh, they they're streamed free on YouTube. So uh, the the promotion is called Bellator B E L L A T O R, and the event is Bellator two fifty two. So if you Google Bellator two fifty two, you'll find the details of the event. Or if you go to Bellator's official YouTube channel, they'll live stream the event there. Or you can go to my Instagram at uh, Kai underscore Suto. That's K-A-I underscore S-O-O-T-H-O. And the details will be posted there as well. Um, so, yeah, lots of different ways. But, you know, Googling Bellator 252 is probably the easiest. And roughly what time do you think you'll be on? Roughly. I know these, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to the, the event starts at like 4 o'clock Eastern. And mm -hmm. I'm the sixth fight. So, I, I mean, I'll, I'll probably fight around. I mean, if anyone who tunes in by five o'clock is definitely going to see my fight. I would say I'll probably fight closer to six o'clock. Um, yeah, that's six is, a, six is a reasonable guess. The main card starts at seven. And I think there are two or three fights after me before the main card. So, or maybe, honestly, I don't know, maybe only one fight after me before the main card. So I'm going to fight sometime between 5 and 7 p.m., I would say. I, I have no idea what time in between there, but sometime between 5 and 7 p.m. Eastern. All righty, man. Well, I'm certainly going to be watching. Uh, I want to really uh, tell you how much I appreciate you taking the time so close to your fight. Uh, when you're trying to get in the right mindset, and especially when you're trying to cut weight, because I know that's not easy. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking this time to sit down and talk with me. Yeah, man. No, I, I appreciate you as well. And uh, like I was saying, it helps me get my mind off the weight cut. So <laughs> the, that's, a, that's a good ancillary benefit. All righty. And if you've got nothing else, I'm going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up. All right, man. Thank you. Alrighty. All right. Thank I'll you. talk to you soon. Alrighty, and that's the show. Thanks again to Skylar Suto for joining us, and thanks to everyone for listening.